Hello, I'm Daniel Simpson, the host of Ancient Futures. And if you're hearing this, you're listening to a preview of an archived podcast. For the full conversation, go to ancientfutures.substack.com. The link is in the show notes and become a paid subscriber. Or you can also sign up for a free seven day trial with no obligation. If you already subscribe, however, you have access to everything via the website, um, where you can go to your account page to set up a feed to your favourite podcast app. Just follow the instructions at ancientfutures.substack.com forward slash account. Now, everything is free at the time of release, so it's also possible to subscribe without any charge to get the latest episodes direct to your inbox, along with other interviews and things that I write. All of that does take time to produce, though, so while it's a labour of love, subscriber donations do help make it sustainable. But if you're not in a position to pay, just send me a message and we'll work something out. For now, on with the preview. Hello and welcome to Ancient Futures, where we ask what on earth we've been doing and untangle ways forward. Today I'm joined by Aid Belcham, uh, who like many other teachers of yoga, has had a hip replacement. Now this led him to question whether postures might have caused it, which sparked some fascinating thoughts about why he'd been practising, as well as how to engage with life more skillfully. He recently summed up these thoughts in an article, which is linked in the show notes, and uh, it provides us with a springboard for a, a wider conversation about how yoga and physical practice might be related, or in some cases not. Aid continues to practice uh, yoga asana, um, but with more of a focus on inner inquiry than on making shapes. Um, in general, he's keen to ask questions uh, and thinks it's something that's worth doing more often, which uh, does raise the question of why there's some resistance uh, in yoga circles to critical thinking. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, you can find out more about Aid uh, on his website, which is bodybeing.co.uk. Uh, and for more about the podcast and ways to support that as a subscriber, visit ancientfutures.com substack.com. But for now, let's dive deep into this rich conversation with Aid Belcham. Aid, welcome. Thank you, Daniel. Nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for writing this very thought-provoking article that led me to get in contact with you that has uh, led us already to have uh, a bit of a chat about some of the questions I'd like to develop a little bit more fully today. Um, really framed by the question you know, <laughs> that uh, accompanies this article in the, the British Wheel of Yoga magazine, why practice yoga? And um, it's a question that sort of hangs over what a lot of people do um, without ever really being answered or perhaps even acknowledged it's often assumed as you say that you know, people practice because they like it <laughs> and uh, that's fine until it doesn't quite work and as you point out very openly and honestly in the uh, the first few paragraphs of the article um, you were confronted by injury and uh, it was that that led you to wonder had you been deluding yourself that yoga was actually something that you enjoyed a great deal when you discovered you needed a hip replacement yeah. and uh, I wonder if you could talk us through a little bit of the background to getting to that moment and uh, yeah how you, 
how you dealt with it when it arose. Yeah, I think the um, the hip replacement was kind of a culmination of a growing period or a period of growing questions about practice. It, um, yeah, the the article presents it in perhaps a bit of a, a, a kind of a trigger or a dramatic way, which was to do with the mm. way it was presented rather than the way I wrote it. But the um, yeah, the process evolved out of a, a series of questions, really, about what's going on and where where are we headed, and that started perhaps ten years ago, perhaps fifteen years into my yoga journey, hmm. and yeah, it came out of a series of, I suppose, just e- e- events that led me to say, well, what's that about? Why? Yeah, where's that? That doesn't seem right. That doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like it's got any great benefit in terms of um, the wider goals that I was so immersed in at that time because I got very into um, reading not just yoga philosophy but um, modern Buddhist uh, commentaries Mm -hmm. on um, certainly from the American camps, people like Jack Cornfield and what have you. And... um, yeah, I, I guess just questions about a, a disparity between what I was seeing in not just my yoga practice, which was, you know, the classic Ashtanga form at that time, 90 minutes a day, six days a week, da, 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 moon days off. Uh, and when I went to um, Maui, I was traveling every year to Maui at that time um, to work with Nancy Kilgoff. It was um, it was the same pattern, but with other people. So most of the time I was practicing on my own, three or four months a year, it was with Nancy and the group of nutters that ended up on Maui in those days. It was brilliant. <laughs> Fellow Ashtanga addicts. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, there was a huge amount of uh, really positive stuff came out of that period. I think for me personally, you know, some of the the most significant changes came around integrating or being with all of those different people Hmm. so i think you know i like a lot of people i was in my early 30s mid 30s at that point and yeah i kind of got into a bit of a into a groove i was with my people doing my thing you know i had a family i was i was doing the thing and um I, i think what had happened is that having had a period of quite expansive uh, university years and travel years after university, I was kind of narrowing down quite nicely. Thank you very much. And what Maui did for me uh, was really blow that open. So it opened a lot of doors and a lot of interactions with people and ideas that um, I probably wouldn't have engaged with had I just encountered them outside that particular vehicle. And the same with yoga philosophy, I think, even though Yoga philosophy wasn't something that Nancy projected. Nancy's teaching was very much just about the asana, just about the process of Ishtanga forms. That's a bit unfair, but largely so. Mm-hmm. Um, I got very interested very quickly in in the texts and you know the commentaries around the texts and different modern interpretations of that, and you know what all this was about in terms of historical traditions and so forth so although it was never done from a very academic or even cohesive point of view from a personal interest point of view it was definitely a big part of what I was engaging um but 
yeah, again, some of those ideas I don't think I could have taken on board or would have even considered taking on board had it not been within the vehicle of something that I was you know, deeply committed to, partly because it was just a physical practice. So I was pretty much just a physical person, you know, it was that was kind of where I was coming from. So So you were quite athletic before Ashtanga? Yeah, I, I lifelong um history of sort of sports and activities i suppose i was a i was a swimmer as a child and um and then i became a, a triathlete and then a runner and then a climber so it was, you know there's a lot of sort of high activity stuff going on in life um and when i started uh yoga actually it was it was as i was coming out of a period of pretty intense running so mm-hmm. i'd done um, a number of years of mountain marathons and uh yeah, got some injuries there, which actually ties into where we're going with this, which is you know, the you know the hip replacement. Because at that time, around about the time I started yoga, I had a recurrence of a knee injury that had existed from before, before, mm-hmm. and the beginnings or the first incidents of a of a hip injury that didn't seem particularly significant at the time but was notable stopped me running for a number of weeks after a big event so that's kind of where or points to the roots of those injuries now scroll forward I suppose it was about four years into um, the Ashtanga practice maybe a little less even actually I was working with John Scott and Lucy uh, down Mm in um, Penzance when they were in Cornwall at that time and um, I ended up having a, a meniscus tear repair in my left knee. Um, as a result, I think it's fair to say, as a result of over-twisting the knee that already, it, this was the knee that had been damaged during the running years um, that led up to that point. I'd stopped running by then, but of course, all the um, striving for lotus type activities that were going on at that point in practice uh, led to some inappropriate twists which probably led to the the, the deepening of the tear and finally a trim it, you know it got to the stage where it was getting stuck and it, yeah it was untenable to really just deal with it even though that's what I tried to do for quite a long time we're in a married so well actually it was a bit more than Grin and Barrett thinking back it was practice practice all is coming the practice will resolve this we have to go through some difficulties in order to go through a realignment uh, a recalibration of the body which is sometimes uncomfortable yes and yeah looking back without yeah i think i've gone past the point of blame now but looking back i was that was completely delusional um Mm. in the sense that yeah, really what I should have recognized, could have recognized was that this was a recurrent injury and it should be dealt with because something was aggravating it. And if I had looked in that way at that point or been pointed in that way at that point, I may have developed a pattern shift, which subsequently I have achieved, mm. but long time down the line. Um, and having had, you know, the, the knee injury in the first place. So, or the knee surgery in the first place. So, you know, just to be clear, yoga didn't cause the problem, but 
the way I practiced asana in those early days certainly aggravated the problem to the point where I had to get a surgery intervention, surgical intervention to to deal with how bad it got. I think that's a very interesting and you know quite poignant distinction that you make there. And um, it's easy, I think, to almost miss the subtlety of it because it almost sounds like letting yoga off the hook, whereas actually mm-hmm. you're getting more specific about what's going on in a yoga practice. And it's the way one is approaching uh, a repetitive, you know, kind of um, asana-focused approach that will be problematic if you're going to do the same thing unskillfully again and again and again. Obviously, that's going to cause strain, and if there's an underlying condition, it's going to get aggravated. So that bit is just you know, common sense. But then I do, I do think there is also the other level of it of of questioning whether that approach is more likely than others to cause that sort of an outcome, and uh, and whether people involved in it are open enough with themselves with each other with their students about that possibility and uh... yeah i'm i mean if you talk about if you if you mean by that approach the ashtanga form versus the yenga form or any other i guess the ashtanga falls under that category just purely by virtue of repeating the same sequence day in day out and slowly adding to it and uh, eventually upgrading as you get more proficient yeah uh, possibly, although to be honest, I could see the same issue occurring in something like the prescriptive mm. positioning of something like the anger form. The little I've, I've, I've well, so, I've, I've, I've got experience in both, and I've seen as many people with hip replacements in the Iyengar world as in the Ashtanga world. Yeah. So I, th- I think you're right. I think anything really that that leads you to do something that is at the range of what's possible for you mm. in a way that is not about learning it for yourself. In other words, being very aware of what's happening and what the implications of that occurrence are has the potential to cause injury because mm. you, you're, yeah, you're superimposing a, um, an idea onto the body that is not necessarily capable or ready to perform the position that you're requiring of it. Or, um, and this is quite a, an important distinction too, or the way that you engage with that posture is something that actually you are perfectly, or your system is perfectly capable of doing but the way that you approach or arrange yourself in the context of that shape is isn't working and unless you recognize that or you know it's brought to your attention that it's not working and you just keep doing it that way then even though the alternative or a different way is perfectly feasible you never do it mm. and this is something you know for me has become yeah, I recognize it quite strongly in myself, but I've also seen it in an awful lot of students now over the years, recognizing that people bring a series of patterns to practice, asana practice. Exactly. Physical and psycho-emotional, and then do the asana practice with those patterns and often just keep, you know, they just find a new way of playing out the patterns in, in a new context. Um, and I did a lot of that, you know, I did, I transferred quite a lot of the physical activity principles into 
practice and some cases it worked really well you know i was a very strong beginning practitioner not a very bendy beginning practitioner but a very strong one and that helped in some respects um and it didn't help in other respects because i used that strength inappropriately in so many different ways that you know there are consequences long term or it just got in the way when i was doing asana Pushing too hard? Is that a simple summary, would you say, or is it subtler than that? Uh, I think it's a little, I don't know whether it's subtler, but it's certainly more expansive than my initial reaction to those words are. Pushing too hard implies to me quite a psychological element. Mm. I'm I'm striving too much to achieve something. Yeah. But in in me, it was it was that, but it was also... I, I was used to being able to use my body in a particular way in order to get results. So as mm. a climber, I was used to kind of an effort-based, balance-related, but effort-based mode of movement. As a runner, there was a real sense, and as a swimmer, I suppose, there was a real sense of going into, we used to call it the blue zone in swimming. It was, you know, it's that territory where you, you're going beyond the point of ease and into a place of challenge, knowing that you can become really skillful at using that place of challenge and that's you know in competition swimming that's a really it's not just a useful it's an essential skill to have if you can't do it you're you're never going to compete so but transferring that into asana obviously not not so effective really (laughs) Well, at the same time, though, I mean, there is a parallel to a certain extent that if one stays within one's comfort zone, a lot of that advanced contorting is going to stay off the menu. There has to be a stepping beyond the comfort zone to to get there. So the more kind of fixated one is on form uh, rather than function, then the the likelier that is to come about. And I I think you made another very good point in the article when you – Um, when you start to break down the multiple ways in which you were working with yoga, coming up with a sort of framework for why practice is taking place in the the first place. But you identified this sort of uh, conflation kind of uh, coming together of your pursuit of exercise really through asana and the identity you were developing through yoga um, and the association of you know advanced practice with <laughs> advanced contortions obviously therefore compounds that process yeah absolutely and that nicely brings us back to the original question really is you know where did that article come from which is yeah i mean the culmination for me was recognizing i think with the it, with the hip issue that something wasn't quite right and, mm. and actually it's probably also worth highlighting i forget because it was you know i, I was there <laughs> <laughs> But it wasn't it wasn't yoga that produced the the symptoms that you know that brought it to my attention that there were difficulties. I was yeah I was I turned fifty. I went to do some adventures adventures that I'd been some of them I'd been thinking about doing for a while. Some I hadn't. I was kind of returning to things I hadn't done for a long time, and um, they were great. It was fabulous. And the you know the the positive side of asana is that. Uh, at 50, I was physically very able to do things that I'd been doing at 20. When you um, say adventures, you mean mountaineering? Or? Mountaineering, I did a big solo kayak yeah. trip, sea kayak trip. Um, yeah. yeah, there was uh, there was some climbing involved as well, and quite a bit of mountaineering. Um, 
Yeah, and you know, in some respects, I think again, this is important to highlight again a, a real sense of balance in how it sounds if somebody's hearing this for the first time. What yoga practice I think developed in me was a a flexibility and a an overall sense of balance strength hmm. that made me really quite well equipped to do things that I wasn't familiar with you know I had been familiar with them years earlier but I wasn't you know I wasn't doing any regular mountaineering at all I was walking the dog that was about it you know it was it was nothing more than that but I you know I could go to the Pyrenees to the to the Alps to the northern Caribbean uh, northern Caribbean the Cantabrian mountains in northern Spain and I could do these routes that yeah were routes that I'd been thinking about since I was 20. Uh, however, and, and actually to add to that, I was probably in a better mental state, able to deal with fear, doing these things on my own. So being in quite remote places without support, you know, having to deal with that on my own. Yoga had taught me techniques that I used to cope with those difficulties. I vividly remember on the on the kayak trip, sitting in really quite uncomfortable sea conditions, and yeah, using breath control to stabilize my emotional state to enable me to make the correct decision and take the next step. Um, could I have done that if I'd just done yeah sea kayaking for the thirty years in between? Probably, actually, because I'd have done so much sea kayaking. But I hadn't done very much sea kayaking, so it was the yoga probably that contributed the techniques to help that process. So some real positives. But the flip side was what I had to recognize was that by the end of the, the big mountain trip to the Pyrenees, I, I was injured. My hip was really sore and stayed sore for, well, pretty much in, until the surgery at that point. It never really got better. And what, looking back, I can recognize is that although physically I was in good shape, I wasn't in any way prepared for the particulars of the demands of mountaineering, mm. carrying weight, walking for long periods over really difficult ground, Um yeah, I was I was perfectly trained to do ninety minutes of sweaty activity and then to have a little lie down. That's what <laughs> I'm perfectly trained for. Um, yeah, so the consequence was I got prolonged fatigue, which put more uh, impact into the joints, which showed up really the damage to the right hip joint that subsequently led to the hip replacement and aggravated the knee. So at that point, when I was 50 doing these trips, it became clear that the the practice that I'd been doing, which I guess I rather naively, even at that point, believed had a physical benefit that was pretty obvious. I didn't need to make much of an inquiry on that. Um, had its limits, had its um consequences within that positive of the general health and fitness that it delivered 
Um, and at that point, having recognized that in the context of the physical body, I began to ask questions about the, the other consequences and looking at, you know, things that had happened through life was beginning to say, well, okay, is this skillful? Is this enlightenment? Is this even anywhere close? This doesn't look very enlightened to me. That started step one, is this (laughs) non-harming? Exactly. Um, Yeah, to me and to others. I mean, this was a period of of life that was, you know, there was a lot of turmoil involved. So, yeah, again, in retrospect, what seemed to be happening was a rather like the physical practice, there was a process of unraveling or letting go of old patterns unconsciously alongside some contraction or exaggeration of old patterns at the same time. I'm not sure I'm being very clear there. Just if we think, no, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but let's, let's think actually in terms of your body. Obviously, it's very specific to you, but uh, was there something particular in what you were doing on a repetitive basis that was compounding almost the literal grinding of your, <laughs> let's say, thigh bone into your hip socket um, that, that, that just wore everything down? Or, or is it not possible to look at it in, in terms of you know, asana activity in that way? Well, I, I, you know, I've done quite a bit of that reflection over the last few years, and I've, I've, I've come and gone with it, to be honest. Um, there are obvious things that aggravate mm-hmm. the hip and the knee. I don't do lotus at all anymore. Mm-hmm. For example, I don't even do half lotus anymore because the left knee just doesn't appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I've changed the hip mobility and the approach to hip openers, it's still that the the knee is so there's no cartilage left on the medial meniscus anymore so any play that comes into that joint is is going to cause pain and aggravation to the 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 bony plates so it it seems sensible to just drop that movement as something that is not beneficial to me and in fact is negative it causes aggravation Thanks for tuning in to this preview. Uh, To continue listening and to get access to all archived episodes along with other perks, visit ancientfutures.substack.com.